from Luminary Media, this is LGBTQ&A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and if you're anything like me, you didn't have sex ed growing up that included LGBTQ people. It wasn't taught in schools or at home, and porn has really become a place to fill in those gaps. Porn is an imperfect teacher, but for so many of us, it's the only one we've got. It's a place to get off, as well as to learn about sex, what to do, what to say, what your partners will like or not like, and that creates a lot of problems. So Davey Wavy is trying to change all of that. Davey is one of the most popular LGBTQ people on YouTube, and he has recently teamed up with a slew of experts and sex coaches to create Himeros. It's a brand new porn site geared towards still turning people on, but with the hidden goal of educating people, of making it a place where you can start to pick up on different ways, perhaps healthier ways, of having sex. We're gonna be learning things from porn either way, so you might as well be learning things that are helpful, right? And then just to note, this is probably our most explicit episode yet, as you can imagine. So just a word of warning there. All right, let's get to it. Here is Davey Wavy. I want to start at the beginning just because when you started making YouTube videos, YouTube was so different. Right. It was 12 years ago. Um, what initially made you start to post like that first video? Yeah, YouTube wasn't YouTube when I first started. It was like this crazy new website and I was doing online marketing for an LGBT nonprofit and they gave me a webcam and I was like, well, let me play around with this. Like, let's see what this is all about. And I made a video about like the fucking book that I was reading and posted it to YouTube. And, uh, and I did a few of those and there was never any intention of like, people watching it. And it never occurred to me that people would be interested in watching. And then my eighth video, I was living in Toronto and I caught my neighbor masturbating and I made a video about that. And as it turns out, that is apparently something that people search YouTube for, masturbating neighbors. And uh, that video went viral for at the time. And, uh, and a lot of gay men especially started subscribing to my channel. So very quickly, I realized that there was an opportunity to engage that community, maybe even a responsibility, and uh, to make videos other about things other than the books that I was reading. And at the time, that was about coming out, how to talk to your family. I mean, they were silly and sexy, but it was all kind of along that vein. Of course, now I'm 36, and talking about coming out to your family is not particularly interesting. So, Which is a massive sign of progress. Well, right? yeah. It, well, it, it, I think it was just a matter of, it, it probably is still interesting to a 20-year-old, but for me at 36. At that time, it was unique 12 years ago. That's true. To have this person on the internet who's like telling their coming out story. Yeah. And it, it was also a different, like, I mean, it's 12 years. It sounds like we're talking about something that's 50 years ago, but like it really was a different era. Yeah. I mean, the internet was so different. It was like Will and Grace and... You like, didn't have to have an email address. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, we are, we're not old people saying that. Right, right. But, like, when you were doing YouTube videos, it was just this website, and now it is the second largest search engine in the world. Yeah, it's this huge thing. It has just changed so much. And also, stories of people like myself have been told. Like, if I, now, in 2019, I'd be kind of, like, cringing at, like, another, like, upper middle class cisgender white boy, like, telling his coming out story. Like, girl, like... 
like sit down and, and and create some space for someone else. But at the time, it was like it was all still very new and it was so edgy and. Um, but like anything, like there has to be an evolution to it. it. Just for me personally to stay interested in it, I can't imagine still regurgitating <laughs> the same the same shit over and over again. Yeah, but also a lot of YouTubers post videos about their own lives and their personal stories. You've you just stay away from that stuff. You're constantly yeah. creating content, for lack of a better word. Yeah, my life's really not that interesting. Like it, no one wants to see me eat a slice of pizza, you know, and be like, hey guys. I don't mean to like dig at creators that do that. I give a free pass to queer creators that do that because I still think there is a value in seeing like an openly transgender person living their life joyfully, being themselves. I will always give them a free pass for for creating stupid content on YouTube, but <laughs> but I will not give myself that. A lot of current LGBTQ YouTube creators allege that YouTube downgrades their content, they demonetize it and they like recommend the videos less. Have you experienced anything like that? For sure, there there are a lot of so there are challenges that LGBT creators face that are unique to LGBT creators, and there are systematic issues with YouTube. There are tons of them, but I think it's also easy to kind of scapegoat the algorithm when maybe your content just isn't resonating, or maybe there's a more interesting way that you can be packaging your message, uh, or maybe people just don't want to hear it. Um, having said that, there are some really pretty deep issues with YouTube and. Uh, especially in that they outsource the enforcement of their community guidelines. And when you do that, you also outsource whatever bias the audience is going to have. And so I could read the phone book and people would find that offensive because I'm a very obviously gay man. Um, and so my content would get flagged disproportionately. So LGBT content gets age restricted, it gets taken down, people get strikes assessed against their channels. Uh, at a higher rate than uh, non-LGBT content. So there are issues and and they're significant and, and they need to be addressed. YouTube continues to tell us that they will do better and they continue to listen to us. I've yet to see that translate to anything, you know, to any actions on, on their end that have really been meaningful for us. And I think like the big issue is YouTube, like all these social media platforms, they are free. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't like, you can't um, put your entire future on this platform you don't pay for. Like, just like, um, realistically, it's a bad idea, right? For To put like all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. yeah. One, yeah. Well, um, and as, as I got older, my content became more sex focused and like LGBT content is, um, you know, disproportionately restricted on, on YouTube. Sex content is also, so if you're doing both, like forget it. That was part of the reason why I was like, okay, I need to put myself on a platform that is within my own control and not and not someone else's. And that is smart. It's also a really unusual step that most creators don't do is creating their own platform like you did with Hemeros. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, a lot of these creators like became popular on YouTube when they were 14. Like I worked in an office. Like I know, like I went to business school. Like I know what it's like to say something and not have people care. So like, I'm not gonna take for granted um, the opportunity that that I've been given through YouTube. And so, you know, I'm always thinking about, all right, what's the next evolution of this? And so with Hemeros, what is the best way to describe it? It's more than just a porn site. Yeah. Okay, well, tell me this, tell me this. Here's the easier question. Okay. Tell me the public mission for the website and then like the private mission. 
Yeah. So the idea is that Himero's TV enhances gay and bisexual men's experience of sex and sexuality through connection, exploration, and pleasure. For me, porn, the intention there is you watch this video to get off, right? The intention is just to, to watch it, pleasure yourself, jerk off, shoot a load. And most people would agree with you. Right. Like, and that's fun. And I'm not anti-porn at all. Like, I've, I've enjoyed many, many, <laughs> anyway. Um, the intention with Himeros is different. It's, it's creating content that aligns with that mission. So we don't market it as like educational porn or porn that's good for you, but it kind of is. It's porn that when you watch it, you see either technique that's being demonstrated or a concept that you feel like you can apply to your life. I mean, I think as gay men in a vacuum of sex education, we learned about sex by doing what? Watching porn, right? And like, like almost exclusively. Pretty much. Like I watched SeanCody.com and saw two straight boys bump their bodies together and thought that's what gay sex was. And for the first, you know, 28 years of my life, that's what gay sex was to me. Uh, and in reality, there are sex coaches, there's experts, there's sexologists, there's a whole field of individuals that have this wisdom and knowledge. And so for me, the question became, is there a way to package that in really sexy, fun, erotic content that's authentic and ecstatic and real and fun to watch? Um, in much the same way that like my YouTube videos have a good message at their core, but you kind of package it in something that's funny or sexy. We call it dipping the broccoli in chocolate. It's like you have the good message at your core and then you package it in something that makes it, no one wants to eat broccoli. And, and so that's why your YouTube viewers see you shirtless like, right. and like talking about these issues, right? Because right. like that draws in more people, right? It could be shirtlessness, it can be humor. Like there's a lot of ways, it can be emotion. There's a lot of ways to not preach at someone, but still get a message across. And it turns out that porn's a really good vehicle. Like people enjoy watching porn. And if you can kind of hijack that formula to help people have better sex, like it becomes really fun. So you watch this video, you're like, oh, wow, this is hot. Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, this is a fun sex game that I can play with my next hookup or my next date. Or, oh gee, I never looked at sex that way. And so you must have to really like walk a line in marketing this, right? I just think like people don't want things that are purely good for them. Like, right. It's the reason why like I like had like one too many beers last night, you know? <laughs> right. Well, if you watch the trailer of Himro's TV, like there's no there's no part of it that's like oh this is gonna this is gonna be good for you like it's just really fun and sexy and you're like wow this is porn in a way that I've never seen it depicted so it I think gets the the viewer in the door so the video we uploaded last week was called worship me and it's two men one's uh, seated in front of the other at his feet and he looks into his eyes and for a minute and a half affirms him and tells him that he is beautiful, he's worthy of touch and love and affection. And he asks him to feel all the love that there is in the world for him. I mean, it's this really fucking like intense moment. And the model that's receiving it, he just starts crying. And you realize in that moment that like, man, it's easier to look in the mirror and call myself a piece of shit than it is to receive that kind of love from another person. And that's not something you see on SeanCody.com, hot as it may be at times. Like that's not, you don't see that kind of authenticity. Do you ever have an issue when you're like crafting these videos though, that like XYZ is, you know, quote unquote best practices, but it might not necessarily like be hot and get someone off? 
What do you mean? Um, if I watched a porn mm -hmm. and I saw a guy like on his knees, like crying and being told he's beautiful for the first minute, like I, I would, I wonder if I would turn it off mm -hmm. and like go to the next one. And I, and I, I, I watch them. They're not all like that by any means. Right. But I, I just wonder if they're, um, if like in editing the video, you say like, oh, we need to cut this scene down to like to get to like him like touching him. Yeah. Well, we've been doing this now for almost two years. The site launched in November of 2017. And I think there, we have made kind of missteps. Like, I think I have a good sense of where the line is. And um, sometimes we make content that feels a little inaccessible. And so we can kind of edit it back, um, you know, while we're working on it. Uh, even that video, the the Worship Me video, like the orgasm that the guy ends up having is so intense that we actually had to trim it a little bit because we thought people were going to be like a little bit really? cut off by it. Um, yeah, there's an there's an accessibility issue that not everyone is a tantrika, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's some of this shit is fucking weird. But what have you been surprised by that people gravitate towards content wise? Since you do have such a big variety of things. Yeah. I think what has been surprising for me is how excited people get by seeing what I would consider kind of like a non-traditional uh, model in in our videos. So whether that's someone with a small dick, whether that is someone that's older, whether that's someone with a belly, someone that's furry, people get really excited when they see someone that they can relate to in an erotic video. It's it's a reflection of themselves. And I think if you watch video after video after video and you just see these 20-year-old guys with nine-inch dicks and six-pack abs, at a certain point, you're like, okay, great. Like, but what about me? Like, that's available to them, but what's available to me? Oh, and because the vast majority of the population doesn't have a six-pack. As it turns out, yeah. <laughs> or a nine-inch dick. I hate, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> this is breaking <laughs> news. <laughs> but yes. And, um, and well, in fact, we just did a retreat in Easton Mountain, which is in upstate New York. And we had people who were not porn stars. <laughs> I keep saying real people, <laughs> but porn stars are real people too. Just non-professional non models. They applied to be part of this retreat. And so um, we had 80 or 90 applicants. Uh, we narrowed it down to seven or eight and we brought them to upstate New York. And it was a five-day retreat where they went through workshops and they also uh, created 12 erotic videos. And the guys were in their 20s up to 75. And they were, you know, from all different backgrounds, genderqueer, you know, it, it was a really representative group of individuals. And moreover, they all had, they had the gift of being, it's like the gift of being a whore. Like they were all into, they didn't have a specific type. They were into lots of different guys. And so it made like the pairings really fun to, um, put guys together that maybe you wouldn't normally, you know, think you would see. Um, and and so these are real people. Did no one get up to the retreat and say like, oh, I actually can't do this? I thought it was going to happen. Yeah. I, I overbooked individuals because like someone's going to cancel. Oh. Like someone's going to cancel. Um, we had a few people cancel beforehand, but once people were at the retreat, um, it's it's a really safe environment and it's very supportive and no one's being asked to do anything that they don't want to do. Uh, our first video that we filmed though was blindfolded because we wanted people to be like a little bit less aware of the cameras, you know, like yeah. just um, the intensity of it. And it was, it was beautiful. I mean, that makes me wonder like at this retreat and or even just with professional porn performers, 
on a set surrounded by crew members. Like, are there issues with performance anxiety? So, uh, and by that, you mean like boner problems? Yeah. yeah. Like losing an erection. Totally. Yeah. And that happens all the time. And here's the thing, like that is real fucking life. And like people don't always get hard. Okay. So yes, it's real life uh, if you're like with a partner, because uh, uh, that's just like, it happens. It's However, yeah. if you're on a porn set though, and like the goal of it is to shoot like penetration, then like it adds a more pressure. Well, the goal for us isn't to shoot penetration. The goal is for us oh. to film a hot connection between two guys. And so you can show what that connection is like without this. Totally. Yeah. If you don't get hard, like, like, you know, they can blow each other. All dicks are welcome. And you can, you can fuck people with your fingers. You can eat their ass. Um, I mean, there's so many ways for us to to express that. I, I mean, you, that that blows my mind because um, all the porn I've seen has it's been dick focused and it's been erection focused. I've literally never heard a single person say it doesn't like have to be about that. Well, okay, and so then think of the effect that that has because that's a common experience on us individually when we go into the bedroom and the expectations that that creates around your dick being hard. You asked what's surprising. That's what's surprising to me is that when we show a dick that's soft, we can show people pissing on each other. We can show it, like people with 50 year age differences. The thing that, that apparently the only thing that's taboo to show in porn is a soft dick because it really freaks people out. And they're like, well, these guys weren't into each other. Like he's not even into this. He's not hard. Girl, like how many times have you been in a situation perhaps because you're so into someone where you don't get hard? And so watching this porn, it's teaching the person, if you are having boner issues, that's fine. And teaches the person that like, if the person you're with is having boner issues, that's fine. Right. Yes. That your boner, a boner, it comes and goes in waves. Some people don't get hard very often. Some people do. Like, it's just part of life. And we need to be a little bit kinder to ourselves about our fucking boners. Like, it's really... Have you always been this comfortable talking about, like, for lack of better words, like boners, which I've never like said on the podcast before, probably in yeah. 150 episodes. I, I don't know. No, I, I wasn't. I was really? like, I was a good little Catholic boy at one point. But here's the, uh, I, before I let boners go, sure, because yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a point of contention. Please. For me, I think what people don't realize is that the boners that they see in traditional porn, like maybe they do realize are artificial. Like that's not a traditional porn takes four hours, six hours to film. No one's going to be hard for four to six hours. And not only do they often take Viagra, but they often inject their dicks with a drug called Trimex, literally take a, a needle and inject their dick I to hold an erection. Literally never heard that. For the duration of a shoot. So like what you're seeing in porn, like I hate to be the bearer of bad news again, but like that's not real. And those guys, do that, I think, in part because of this. It's like this cycle of like, well, there's an expectation that the people are always going to be hard. It needs to be penetration to the people watching it. Like, it just feeds itself. I also think about like the the categories of porn. Like when we say porn on a typical website, it ends up being majority white people. Mm -hmm. And then black porn or like Latino porn, you know, all these things are like subsets. And it's like, that's not the normal desire. But like, if you do, like here is a niche product. Like, and then that, those people with like those bodies. It's like, oh, I'm not like the normal body mm -hmm. for sexual desire in general. Well, we filmed a video with a guy that's quadriplegic and um, and he, he reached out and he was like, look, uh, I had a neck injury when I was uh, 18 
And I was a cheerleader before and like people used to look at me and they were, you know, be really interested. And he's like, now I'm in a chair. And like, not only do people not look at me as sexual, they don't look at me at all. Like I just, they look away, they ignore me. And I wanna be seen like period, I wanna be seen. And and I especially wanna be seen as as deserving of, um, you know, everything that, that non-disabled people um, are deserving of. And so we put him in a video and we said, you know, what would be fun for you? And he's like, I wanna get face fucked by the biggest dick you can find. <laughs> and so we found this guy, Pierce Paris, who's a, a model who is totally into doing the scene. And we hired a disability advocate to um, help us kind of figure out like the messaging around the scene and to, to make sure that we we're showing the pleasure of both participants, you know, that it wasn't just some able-bodied savior coming in. Um, and it became this really hot video, two guys experiencing this connection. One of them happens to be in a wheelchair and, um, and it, it like made a lot of news and, and, and uh, there were a lot of articles written about it. And um, the lack of, of visibility of disabled people in, in erotic content. And I think traditional studios will say, whether it's an older person, a disabled person, the people that we don't see in, in porn, they'll say, well, people don't wanna see them. And my response is, well, how can you want something that you don't see, right? Like, isn't it because you're not putting those people in porn that maybe your audience doesn't even know that they could possibly be turned on by a guy in a wheelchair having sex? Um, so, we're kind of in a position to be able to take those risks and do things that are, are are different. That is fascinating. And then, so do you put that video then on the site and just like any old category, right? You're not mm -hmm. like you're not like flagging it as like you know man in a wheelchair, right? Yeah, no, it just goes on the site. And um, the the advocate that we worked with, the disability advocate, was like, "Don't do a voiceover, don't explain it, like just let it sit there." then maybe interview the guy and 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 post that on YouTube or something to give it a little bit more context about why he wanted to do it. But just let this video exist as you would any other video. And and we did, and it's a really hot fucking video. I remember when we were filming it, <laughs> um, I was on the, the set, we filmed it in uh, actually in Southern California. And I caught myself at one point, you know, you're watching this like action unfold. You know how like stage moms like are going through the routine like while like their kids are, I was like, sucking an imaginary dick. <laughs> I was like watching this face fucking scene unfold. It was really, it was really hot. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. You also work with um, tantric instructors, sexologists. Yeah. Um, can you define what those two things are? No, but I'll try. Uh, so one of our tantric coaches said that um, like yoga is finding truth through movement, through movement, uh, like, uh, Zen Buddhism is finding truth through silence and meditation. Uh, Tantra, at least in the context of how we're using it, is finding truth through sexual energy. So we did a, a video, for example, which was a sex game of people asking for what they want. So it's you and your partner across from each other. The first three or four are really easy, but then you really start to get into what you want, right? Like beyond the obvious, I want you to kiss my neck, I want you to play with my nipples, like no. It's not like I want you to do the dishes. It's like, I want you to, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. And you get vulnerable. And the tantric coach said, like asking for what you want in sex is a metaphor for asking for what you want in life. And often we don't do either. So not only does the, you know, 
that give you a fun sex game that you can try, but it helps you kind of turn inward and and ask yourself what it is that that you want. And in, in a world where we're kind of jumping from, you know, podcast to Netflix to work to whatever, like to really take that pause and and turn inward is important. I also feel like I don't want to make this all about me, but I also feel like I'm still getting to know what I like and what I don't like. Mm-hmm. Like my answer might be like I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you can ask for something that's that like you have figured out or that or maybe something that you want to try. And you maybe you say something like, "Well, I want you to lick my feet." And 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 I'm like, "Oh, well, mm, I'm not really comfortable with that, but I would love to lick your nipple." And so you kind of suggest an alternative and it helps you kind of navigate that. That is so interesting. And then what is a sexologist? <laughs> well, actually, the sexologist that um, that we work with, he he teaches a course on on sex. So he's a he's a doctor, and um, and that's his that's his study. Um, we also work with sex coaches and intimacy coaches, and to influence the content you're creating for Himeros. Right. Yeah. So like we just did a retreat uh, in Sweden, just under the Arctic Circle. And we found five models and um, we flew up there and it was very remote and very fun. And we had a sex and intimacy coach who took us through the cornerstones of, of eroticism. So it's like different aspects of the erotic self that you can um, manipulate in the sex that you have to make it more intense and more fun. Can you give us one example? Anticipation. So oh. that was like day one was anticipation. Sometimes if you have like a date on Friday and all week you're like sexting each other and like that anticipation, it's like Christmas, right? Like the tree goes up and then the stockings go up and then like the lights go up and it's like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And sometimes that is just as exciting as actually opening the gifts on Christmas morning. You can have more intense sex by playing with that anticipation. And so we would teach a workshop in the morning about anticipation and then we would film three videos that day that involve anticipation to kind of demonstrate it for the for the audience. Wow. Yeah. And what is your role on set? Like, are you doing creative? Are you even on set? Are you directing? Yeah, I'm on set. That I just like sit there with my mouth agape, like, what? This is fucking fascinating. <laughs> like, I love this. And I and I truly do. And I think that's why like the project has been so successful is because I'm so passionate and I'm learning this shit. Like, I don't know. I don't know any of this. Like what I'm offering to my audience is like, I don't, this is all fucking weird to me too. But like, there's a door that has been opened like, hold my hand. Like, let's just step through and see what this shit's all about. On set, I mean, other than standing there with my mouth agape, I, I'm the producer, so I kind of make sure that the train keeps moving, if you will. We have directors, we have sound people, um, but I need to make sure, like, the catering gets there, that everyone's happy and fed and signs their paperwork and everyone, you know, feels safe and protected. And we always have a, a sex coach on set to work with the models. And then after we film, the models get um, five aftercare sessions with a with a professional. Because a lot of times, like things come up, you know, when you're asked to really be authentic and not play a part, things from your childhood trauma, things boil up. And when you look at the disproportionate number of of suicides that happen among performers, a, a, adult models, there's definitely a need to we're asking these these models to carry a lot for us and we're not giving them a lot of support in return, so. And do they take you up on those aftercare sessions? Most do, yeah, most do. I'm glad you brought up the number of people dying by suicide. Right. Uh, just because 
I think you mentioned earlier, like as ethical consumers, we care about every other thing in our lives. Yeah. And it's like, nothing can give you joy without like peeling back the curtain and seeing these negative things. Yeah. And when you look at, like we want grass-fed beef, right? And and because we want these animals that we're consuming to be treated humanely up until the moment where they're killed. But and we don't want our shirts to made in a factory by somebody who's not making a living wage. Right. Well, aren't we consuming porn like through our eyes when we, you know, log on to these websites and to know that these models are like injecting their dicks with drugs or not being supported. I don't I don't mean to like poo-poo the entire porn industry, but there certainly is an opportunity to make the process healthier and more conducive to like a balanced life for the the people who are in in the videos. And that's one of the exciting things about OnlyFans too, is that like now in the same way that YouTube was a democratization of tools for for creators of, you know, more traditional content, OnlyFans and Just for Fans has allowed porn stars to reach their audiences directly, which is exciting for for them. It's like one to one, no middleman. No middleman. Yeah. Did you ever consider being in any videos? Um, I was in, we did a video uh, with one of the models was someone that I had played around with in real life before. And it was a, it was a foot fetish video. And the model that he was with was like, I'm not, he's like, I, like I, I'm happy to have my feet licked, but it really doesn't do anything for me. And we needed a, a set of feet. And, and the model was like, well, can't Davey be in it? Because like, I've licked his feet before and I know that he likes it. And it was really early on. And, and I was like, oh yeah, I can put my feet in it. Like I wasn't naked and, and. Anyway, I it, it was fine, but at the end of the day, I'm like writing the signing the checks for for, for like there's it, like it's not a um, I don't want to Harvey Weinstein myself, you know, like it's it's oh yeah, like there's certain boundaries that need to be respected. Oh, you didn't create this company so somebody else could like lick your dick, right, right, right. And if you cast yourself in videos, you know, it starts to blur lines and. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. Of course, we're asking people to be authentic and vulnerable. And if they're thinking like the producers, like has an ulterior motive here, I think people are gonna be more guarded. And they are so vulnerable in like a really shocking way. One of the videos I watched was called "My First Blowjob Was My Father." Yes, that was on YouTube. That wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. 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 yeah that, that, that oh, wasn't porn. Yeah. Oh <laughs> like, no, no, it wasn't yeah, a porn at all. Yeah. But it was with a porn star, I guess. It was. That 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 kind of content isn't things that like I'm used to hearing about, like you know, sexual like abuse for kids and someone being so open about it. Yeah, and that was on a retreat that we did out in Joshua Tree, and um, and the the models Calvin Banks, and he talked very openly about the childhood sexual abuse that he went through at the from his from his father, um, and we were filming YouTube documentaries about about the experience, and he was, it, it I think those stories, especially like we don't hear a lot of male um, survivors come forward. Uh, it was really interesting to hear how um, his experience and his trauma has shaped his relationship, his work in porn, his friends, um, how he sees life. And um, so we captured that. And of course, to our, our conversation earlier, YouTube almost immediately took the video down um, because like it's 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 an important story that needs to be told, but all they see is my first blowjob was my father, you know, and so boop, video comes down, and then I have to send the emails and really fight to get it back up, and um, it was really disappointing 
and upsetting, perhaps a little bit predictable, but um, they did reinstate the video. Um, but there were people that wrote in that said like, seeing Calvin share his story so openly gave me permission in a way to to share mine. And then of course they log on to see the video again and it's gone. Like what kind of message does that, does that send? And so did YouTube only um, okay it because you have relationships there? Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is if he had uploaded that video and didn't have, you know, a million something subscribers, the video would have just been gone. And you, you have to wonder how many stories there are that like aren't being shared. Um, how many voices are being silenced because you know, people don't have the relationship with YouTube. It's a, it's, it, it's really frustrating. With the style of videos you're making on Himeros, are there other people doing that? Like, do you have any direct competitors? God, you know, it was so funny when I, uh, got into the, to this, and I guess it's, you know, I'm, I'm essentially in the porn industry. Um, I never really think of it like that, but when I stepped into it, I had the perspective that I've always had on YouTube, which is let's collaborate. Like let's lift each other up through our mutual success. I thought that people would be excited that I was getting into that space and I'm bringing an audience from YouTube. Like let's A turn- new audience. Yeah, let's turn more people onto this in an industry that I didn't realize was really struggling to survive and, and be relevant. You know, they have VHS business models in 2019. Like it's not, you know, it's a new environment. It's a new world that we live in. And if someone has a new approach and it's working, like let's learn from it. Anyway, that's not at all the reception that I received. Spoiler alert. It was not that. Um, it was very mean girl-esque. And I was really surprised by that because like at the end of the day, like we're all here in a community of gay men, like doing something that's kind of similar in a way and like let's support each other in this. If there was someone, there isn't anyone else that's doing what we're doing. If they were, I wouldn't view them as a competitor. I would be excited that more people are turning other gay and bisexual men onto authentic, sexually ecstatic connections. Like if someone wants to take the formula that we have and and apply it to their own studio, that's awesome. And if they're successful at it, it's not like my slice of the pizza gets smaller. It's like the pizza gets bigger is my is my attitude. Yeah. I ask that because I have listened to 1,000 podcasts and read 1,000 articles about all of the horrible things we learn from porn mm -hmm. and how it's affecting straight and queer relationships. Right. And I've never heard anyone take the approach for saying, let's change how we make porn then. Mm -hmm. Let's make it more healthy for you. Right. It, it, because the, the answer is always like, oh, we need to stop watching porn. Girl, it's not going to happen, right? Like it's not. Yeah. Or I hear like just remind people that like porn, porn is not real porn. Right. And it's like, okay, but like th we copy what we see and we're only seeing porn. When I was 19 years old, I was in my college dorm room covered in cum. I had just had sex with my boyfriend and he said to me, having sex with you is like being in a porn. And I thought, fuck, like you're welcome, like mission accomplished. Because if I was successfully emulating in the bedroom, what I saw on the computer screen, then like, then I was doing a good job. And uh, what he knew then, and what I would eventually learn maybe 10 years later was that, you know, that's, that's not, that's not real. And he was tuned into it, you know, earlier, earlier than, than I was, but like, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're emulating what you see on the screen. Absolutely. And so that was you in college. Earlier in the interview, you said that you had sex like that until you were 27. 
what happened then? Probably like probably in my late twenties, maybe thirty. I mean, the thing is, like, bad sex is still pretty good, and I think there's a lot of people who are listening who are probably like, you know, no shade, but like you think you're having great sex because it, it's still like bad sex still feels really good. The sex that we've been filming, the sex that I've been seeing is like sex at another level. Like you don't, it's it's like toe curling, fucking incredible connections and ecstasy and like full body orgasms and like orgasming without ejaculate. I mean, it's such next level porn like that there's so much more to, there's so much more to explore. I don't remember what your question was. Now I'm just thinking about full body orgasms. No, you're fine. So has this raised your expectations for sex and that you like require or desire more of your partner? What this has changed has been like if I hook up with a guy and um, you can just see if someone's like not letting you in, not no pun intended, but like if there's, if someone's not being vulnerable or real with you and it's just about them getting off, I still think that can be fun. And like, you can totally have like ecstatic anonymous sex in a, in a bathhouse. You can suck a dick through a glory hole and like do it joyfully. But for me, like if a guy, you know, isn't making eye contact and not really being present and you can tell like, this is really just about him coming. I feel like I have less patience for that now. Like it can still feel good, but you're kind of like going through emotions and you can kind of feel like you're not you're not like really there there's so much more that this could be right because you have like i think about like the 10,000 hour rule that being an expert to put in 10,000 hours to do something like you've put in a quite a few hours yeah you know <laughs> like to like get good at sex to like learn about what like sex can be and um that's quite a lot more than most people yeah, and I'm, I'm, but I still want to, I'm not good at it yet. Like I'm, I'm like better. I'm like improving, and I'm finding, I'm really? learning things. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I mean, we have a one of the instructors that we work with. He can, he can go from like nothing to like ejaculation in two minutes. Like he, he can orgasm without coming. He's like completely multi-orgasmic, and like there's, like there's so. There's so, so much more, even to like the physical sensation. Forget connecting with someone. Like there's so much more to the ways that our bodies can experience pleasure than like what I've been able to to tap into. So there's still a lot of a lot of room to to grow. And that is so interesting. It's so funny that you said about um how now you work in the porn industry. Right. Like I imagine like you never expected that. <laughs> Right, like that uploading that first YouTube video would somehow lead to me creating a porn studio. Right, I just think about like there is like a stigma against porn, and even for like porn creators. Mm -hmm. Like, what does your like parents think about that? Well, my mom's my bookkeeper, so she uh, she got quiet really fast <laughs> when she started managing the finances. I think when she realized like, oh, he can make a living from this, like this is like really sustainable. Um, I think that helped. And she also, my parents understand that they don't understand everything. Everything about your life or in general? Even about the content that we're making. Like they know that when they see it, it feels like they're just seeing 
porn. So they do watch it, though. Well, they're aware of it. Like, I, don't, I haven't, like, sat down and had them watch a video. But, but, but like, you've explained to them, like, right. why you want to do this, I'm guessing. Right. That's interesting. And it still strikes them as porn, but they get that there's this other layer to it that they don't really understand because it's not their experience and, like, they grew up Catholic. And I don't think that's a conversation that many people, like, would choose to have with their parents. Yeah. Yeah. But it's such a big part of my life and something I'm so passionate about. It, it was... The moment that I think my mom kind of had a change of heart was we were filming something in Provincetown. This was years ago. And um, a kid who had been kicked out of his home had traveled to Provincetown because he wanted to thank me for my YouTube videos. And my mom, when she found my YouTube channel, was really upset that I was often shirtless, sometimes talking about sex. Like, like you know, this isn't how you want to present yourself to the world. And when that kid, um, you know, was was talking about how this content had impacted him, I looked over at my mom and she just had tears like streaming down her eyes. And she was like, I want to adopt him. Like that's so, I'm so glad that he was able to get something from what you do. And I think that was the first time where she realized, okay, there's something more here that I don't get. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're no longer Catholic or conservative. I've helped kind of move them along a little bit on the continuum, but they're not ready to watch a Hammerhouse video. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about like, what is the future of gay porn going to look like? Clearly we've spent the last hour talking about what you would like it to look like. Where do you see it actually heading? I I, th I think there's gonna be all of it. Like, I think there will be, there will continue to be the SeanCody.coms of the world. And there will be, you know, we'll keep making content through Humorous TV that that is, I would say like, for an audience that wants something that's a little bit more, or a little bit deeper, um, something to challenge themselves, something to learn, to, to experience more pleasure. I think a lot of the future of porn is gonna be in OnlyFans and just for fans because traditional porn lacks authenticity. When you're watching someone that's like holding the, their iPhone themselves and you're in their bedroom, like watching them have sex in their real life the way that they would, like that brings some of the authenticity back into the, into the equation. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you. Thanks. All right, that was Davey Wavy. And the website we've been talking about is called Hemeros. We will be back next week, of course. This time, Saeed Jones will be here. He's the author of the new memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. We are brought to you by Luminary Media, Neon Hum Media, and The Advocate. The Advocate magazine is the world's leading LGBTQ news source. Come check out our website at advocate.com. LGBTQ&A is produced by Jonathan Hirsch, Zach Stafford, John Asante, Jordan Gosprey, and myself with sound engineering by Mark Bush. We'll see you next week.